0: This week, I read a devotional uh, that really caught my attention. The title of it was, When Confronting Evil, Don't Be Neutral. Well, anytime you read a devotional that's in a book, and the title of the book is 20 Life Lessons from the Life of Jesus, and uh, you see something like that, it kind of grabs your attention just a little bit, right? Uh, So, When Confronting Evil, Don't Be Neutral. Uh, It invoked a lot of thoughts, but especially relating to the day and age which we all live. How do you stay neutral in the time period, the day and age, the culture in which we live? And the answer really is that you can't stay neutral. And really it doesn't really matter the day and age in which we are living because it really as believers we are to stand up for what we know is right, right? And so the thing that comes to my mind is that every generation faces things that take place that leave them wondering how they should respond. And uh, No doubt that we could probably ask many of you that are grandparents what you're seeing in your grandchildren, and you think back in your mind, and say, back when I was your age, I fill in the blank. And you think to yourself, it is sure different now than it was back then, right? Anybody agree? Things are certainly different. But not only are they different, what they're dealing with is different. And in every generation, they deal with things, essentially, it's all sin. Every generation has its issues that they're dealing with that are sinful issues. But at the same time, every generation has new things that are being compounded as well. Uh, so when you start looking, uh, you know, people put some pretty interesting, crazy things on Facebook. And uh, you know as well as I do, I don't post a lot, but I like to read them. I, I see what other people are putting. Uh, it 's giving me an opportunity to catch up with friends that I have not seen or heard from in years and years and years. In fact, just recently I talked to one of my friends on Facebook that I went to school with in second and third grade in elementary school. And uh, we've reconnected. So it's kind of of fun for those kinds of things. But also, you start reading what some of what this generation is doing in their day-to-day life, and you have to think, you scratch your head and you think, wow, is this really happening? Yes, they're really eating Tide Pods. And I think to myself, what in the world is going on? Why would anybody in their right mind want to sit there and pop in a Tide pod and, whoosh, you know, you like the sense of it bursting in your mouth? I mean, what what is it? I mean, when we were eight, when we were that age, we had little Coke wax bottles, right? I mean, we chewed on wax bottles till they were, you know, disgustingly gross. But uh, you know, today Tide pods making them sick. This is the generation that's posting on TikTok. And telling somebody to sit down and then pulling the chair out on purpose, watching themselves get concussions. And you think, what is going on? This is a different generation in which we are living. It's a different culture. It's a different thing. But we are often left wondering with what's going on as far as these sinful things that we see around us. How do I respond? What do I do? Do I do this? Do I do that? Just how should I respond? So those are kind of some of the responses or the emotions that were going through my mind as I read this title of a devotional. When confronting evil, don't be neutral. So, uh, so, lots of thoughts. So, what may look... Well, here's what I think. As I read through the devotional, several things came to my mind. But one overwhelming thought stood out. And it was this. As believers, we cannot and must not be neutral. We cannot and must not be neutral regarding sin and sinfulness. We must stand firm in Christ, right? We have to stand firm in Christ. So that may look a little different to each of us, but standing up for truth should not look different, right? Because the principles of God's Word don't change. God's Word doesn't change. What's in it doesn't change. So our truth and stand what we stand on doesn't change. It may look different for each of us. Uh, there are some people who go downtown in the city and will street preach, and you, know, you say, well, that's just way out of my comfort zone. They're standing for truth. They're doing what's right but it's going to be a little bit different than what you may do to stand up for right and what's truth. So the truth may look a little bit different in how it's how you stand up for it, but the truth doesn't change, does it? Truth is constant, and we know it doesn't change because of God's Word. So when we don't know what to do, we have to look to God in His Word and the Bible and ask questions like, what would Jesus have me to do? How would He have me to respond to the things that are taking place around me so that I can stand up for truth and be firm in what I believe. So I believe that God is calling all of us to take a stand for what is right. So if you would just for a moment turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. I'm not going to be staying here very long. But I want to just kind of start out the message with this idea. You see, every generation has its issues that they're struggling with. Every generation has a culture in which does not want to serve God. Every generation has those who want to live for self, and they want instant gratification, self-gratification. They want what is pleasing to themselves. And so every generation deals with this. And we know that in Exodus chapter 32, this is a story where the golden calf was created. But what's interesting is that as we get down to verses 25 and 26, and I still believe this today in my heart, I believe that we don't have to teach one another to do what's wrong, right? I never had to say, hey, Johnny, let me tell you how to tell a lie. And this is how you do it so it's really good. Hey, Susie, let me tell you how to go to the store and kind of you know, slip something into your pocket that's not really yours. You know, we don't have to teach our children how to lie, to cheat, to steal, do we? Sin comes naturally, Right. Sin happens, and I think, in my heart, I believe that every time I'm, con- I'm confronted with the idea of doing something wrong, I believe that God has given us a conscience, He's given us the Holy Spirit as His children, to tell us, hey, what you're about to do is not right. What you're about to do is sinful. What you're about to do will break, will break my heart. I believe that if we are truly God's child, He will do that for each and every one of us. Right? Right? So every generation, I believe that even though we're confronted with things that are sinful and wrong, I also believe that we have the ability to do what's right, but we want to give into our flesh a lot of times. And so here's this generation here that that Moses is dealing with, and they're building this golden calf because they want something that is physical and tangible, something that they can touch and look at to worship, rather than an invisible God that is all-powerful. And I believe in my heart, I believe that they knew what they were doing was wrong. But they went ahead and did it anyway. And Moses comes back on the scene and he challenges them down in verses 25 and 26. Here's what he says. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them for their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, "'Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me, and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him.'" So Moses stands up before them and says what? You guys are unrestrained. In some of your translations they may use the word uncontrolled or undisciplined. There was chaos taking place. And let me just ask you a question. Are we living in a similar day or not? Look on the news. Look in the newspapers. Look what's happening around you. What's going to look at what's going to take place this afternoon. Are we not living in an unrestrained and an uncontrolled day and age? When people are doing everything that they believe is right in their own eyes. And Moses comes on the scene and he says, listen, you guys are unrestrained. And at this point, you must make a decision. Who is it that you're going to live for? Who is it that you are going to stand up with? Who is it that you are going to please, so to speak? And he challenges them to make a decision to stand firm on the truth of God's word. Let me ask you a question. Did these people know that what they were doing is wrong? Of course they did. They knew that they weren't to have any other gods. The, the ten commandments were already given. They weren't. They knew that they were to only have one God. God himself. Moses had taught them. Moses had been working with them. And yet when Moses steps out of the picture. Just for a moment. They create their own God. Their own image. Something tangible that they can touch and feel and see. To worship to please themselves. And that's the day and age in which we live. Really... In thousands of years, and not a whole lot has changed. There's still a world that we live in that wants to please self. They want what brings gratification to themselves rather than submitting it all to God. And I still believe that God, if He were standing in this room, and I believe He is, is still going to ask the same question Who are you going to stand for? Because you can't stand on a fence. You cannot be on both sides. At some point, you must make a decision and live for what is right. So for a few moments this morning, let's look at a few of these passages that call us to make a decision. And ask yourself the question, does God want want us to remain neutral in these areas of living for Him? Now in Revelation chapter 3 verses 15 and 16, specifically the text is dealing with the church at Laodicea. This has been labeled the lukewarm church. There are all kinds of descriptions given in this passage beginning in, in Revelation chapter 3. But beginning in verse 14, he says this, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now just stop right there just for a moment. Those aren't really pleasant words to be listening to. In fact, in your mind's eye, you kind of get the idea of some of you have had young children who have been sick with a stomachache, and also projectile vomiting. Oh, I so say, did you have to go there? Yes. Because it's a word picture that God's word gives us to describe what this makes God feel. And he says, I know your works. In fact, this is a scary truth that's often overlooked in this text. The Bible says, I know your works. I know your works. And so the idea that we can possibly escape through life and have the idea that, well, I'll just kind of blend in with society. I'll just kind of go with the crowd. I'll go with the flow and just kind of not stand up. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to, I just want to blend in. I don't want to make waves. I don't want to cause any problems. And really, when you look at God's word, he really is saying, no, you have to make a choice. You have to stand up. On one side or the other. And he said, I know your works, and you're neither hot nor cold. You're trying to be neutral, and neutral doesn't work. Those are some pretty strong words. He goes on. And these people, and I think it's very much like the culture in which we live so often. In verse 16 it says, So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, I become wealthy and have need of nothing. And then you look at the grand scheme of things, we are very well blessed. And when I look at people who say they can't stand America, they can't stand what we stand for. You can't stand those who have fought and given their lives and their freedom to, to, so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have. Go to any number of countries that I've visited And then realize how good we have it here. Some of you that have been to several countries in Africa, I've been to Togo, I've been to Liberia, I've been to Ghana, I've been to Kenya, you see all these different places, and you say, wow, any one of the people that you see on the streets there would give their right leg to come here to live with all of its flaws. We are blessed. We are very, very blessed. And yet, this is the very thing that describes much of the people of the United States. We feel like we have it all. And when we don't, well, we're just going to gripe at someone else until maybe they'll give us what they have so we can have what they got. It doesn't work that way. God's word is clear. But the reality is, he says, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind and naked. He's talking about their spiritual state. Their spiritual condition. And that's what we see in the country that we live in today. A world that is acting the way they are acting because they need Jesus. They need God in their lives, and they don't even realize it. They're saying they have rich, they have riches, and yet God's word is saying you're actually poor. You're saying that you are, you have everything, that you're healthy, but you're really you're sick and don't even realize it. But here's what He says: I know your works. And here's the interesting thing about this phrase. If you look at other parts of Scripture, how about Psalm 139? In Psalm 139, it says, There's no place that you can go to escape the eye of God. No place. Think you can blend in? Think you can go with the flow? Just kind of blend in the crowd? He says, You're not, you're not hidden. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says, There is nothing hidden from the eyes of God. Nothing. He said, all things are naked and open with Him with whom we have to to stand with, so to speak. But he says, I know you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. He said, because when you're cold or hot, you don't have to be a fake. See, when you're with those who aren't living for the Lord, then you can live like those people who aren't living for the Lord. When you are with those who are living for God, then you can act like those who are living for God. But he said, you're in the middle. You can't fake it either side. He said, I'd rather you make a decision. Because if you make a decision either to not live for me or to live for me, at least that's clear to everyone around you. you got to make a decision. You can't just follow whatever side you feel like following for that day. You have to make a decision. And he says, because you're lukewarm. Now here's the idea behind lukewarm. Some of you have maybe heard the story before, but... You know what an aqueduct is. In in fact, in Israel, I was able to see along in Colossae, an aqueduct that that brought water into the city. But here's the problem. There were certain places known for their hot springs in Israel. In other places, there were places known for their cold water. And so the problem has always been this. You need plumbing, right? We want cold water when we want cold water. We want hot water when we want hot water. Here's the problem in this day and age. The hot water is way over there. And the cold water is way over there. But I happen to live right here. That's a problem when you want hot water or cold water. So they built aqueducts. And they would bring in these water through the aqueducts this way to where I was living. To where I'm living. And they'd bring in the water from this way to where I'm living. But by the time the hot water got from there to here, and by the time the cold water got from there to here... Guess what? It was neither cold nor hot. It was lukewarm. And he says, What purpose have you accomplished? Nothing. See, it's not good for anything. You can't have the hot water you wanted because it's now cooled off and is lukewarm. You cannot have the cold water you wanted because now it is lukewarm and not cold and refreshing any longer. And in the context, he's saying that's what you're a picture of spiritually. You're not hot or cold. He goes, I wish you were hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, because you won't make a decision, because you're trying to stay neutral and live on both sides, he goes, I want to just vomit you out of my mouth. That's a terrible, harsh, disgusting word picture that God's word uses. But what's he saying in the big picture? You can't stay neutral. You can't just say, well, I want to be a Christian today. Tomorrow I want to live for myself. No, it doesn't work that way. It's all or nothing. Can't be neutral. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah, back in the Old Testament, there in the beginning of the book of Isaiah, chapter five, Isaiah five verse twenty. Not turning. Yeah, it's not going to do what I want. There we go. Isaiah five twenty. There we go. So it says, "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil." Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So, question. Is that not what we're seeing in the day and age in which we live? We have people who are calling good evil and evil good. And he says, woe to them. You see, woe is a really significant word here. It means that you are about to receive judgment. It's an idea that there is something harsher that is to follow. And he says, woe. In this verse. And now look at verse 23. It says, Who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. And I thought to myself as I was reading through this this week, is that not like the day and age we live in, the politicians that we see all around us? It's amazing how they're not worth much when they go into pol- politics, but when they come out, they're all multimillionaires. The job didn't pay that much. Hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm jumping. I'm getting looks. <laughs> it's not neither Republican or Democrat or whatever else. That's all of them. The reality is, this is what's taking place. Who justify the wicked for a bribe. That's sinful. In fact, go back to verse 21. It says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Boy, I'm just so smart. I just have all the answers. Just ask me. I'll tell you what you should do. He says, woe to them. That is followed by judgment. And he says, woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Who justify the wicked for a bribe. And take away justice from the righteous man. This is as it were a picture of a courtroom. Here's what he's saying. You have to call sin what it is. Sin. And you have to call good what good is. Good. Even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like it. Good. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Some interesting things here. And you can see here in these passages that there is no room for neutrality as a child of God. You cannot be neutral. You can't stay in the middle. You can't stay on the fence. You have to decide where you're going to live. So we have often heard it preached that we were to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. In fact, let me go ahead and read the passage here, beginning in verse eleven. It says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. So we're stop just for a moment. We've always heard that phrase preach: have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And you say, Cha-ching, got that one done. I'm not involved in darkness. Well, that's an easy one to follow. I mean, I don't have to, you know, you know, be involved in the sin that they're involved with. I'm not involved in the sin that they're involved with. I'm not involved in the sin that he's involved with. Boom, done. Got it. Not involved with that. Cha-ching, done. But he doesn't stop there. You see, we hear the message on the first part of the verse, but what about the second part of the verse? Where he says... Uh, expose them in other words it requires us to what do something about what we know is not right in other words it calls us the word of god calls us to stand up for what we know is right if this isn't right we should stand up against it if it is sinful we should stand up against it if we know it breaks the heart of god we should stand up against it So he says, expose it. Well, how do we do that? Does that mean I got to run downtown and stand on the corner with a bullhorn and start screaming at everybody, "Hey, you're in sin. You better repent right now." Is that what it's saying? I don't know. I don't believe that. That's necessarily what it's saying. It may include that, but the reality is, it's what it is saying is that you can't just be neutral. You can't just do nothing. You have to stand for what you know is right. And here's how you do that: you compare darkness with light and light will reveal what is not truth what is sinful now i have probably shared this before i'm going to share it again for those of you that haven't been with us for nine years i remember one of the most interesting things that we did on our honeymoon is that we went to the caverns Uh, i can't remember if it is a mammoth cave or down in the ozarks of arkansas but somewhere we went and visited some caves and it's really interesting that in every group when they shut the lights off there's always one who has a flashlight right and so it's amazing that it is just when you're down hundreds if not thousands of feet below the earth in a cave and they shut the lights off it is pitch black i mean you can't see your hand right here you know it's there because as you're talking or breathing you can feel the air of your mouth or your nose hitting your hand you know it's there but it's so pitch black you cannot see it it's just utterly dark but then one person just happens to have in their purse a flashlight. Here's what I found amazing. No matter how small that light was, tiny as it was, that tiny little light that someone took out of their purse lit up the cavern. You see, no amount of darkness can overcome light. Think about that for a moment. That cave wasn't so dark that the flashlight wouldn't work. Light overcomes darkness. You want to know if something is dark? You want to know if something is sinful? Compare it to the light. Because once it's in the shadow of the light, it is revealed. And if you want to know if something is right or wrong, go to the Word of God. Because this is the light that will give Contrast to what may be dark. So the reality is, he says this expose what is dark. In fact, if we go back, in fact, if you go back just two verses to verse six and seven. He says this, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. In other words, we're not even to be involved in the unfruitful works of darkness, or those who are walking in darkness. We're not to be around that. So he says here in verse 8 For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. So once again, he's calling us not to remain neutral and especially not remain in sin. He says, walk, if you claim to know Jesus, walk in the light. So walk as children of light. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Light reveals whether something is dark or not. Whether it's sinful or not. The light of God's word. And then it goes down in verse 15 and following how we walk in wisdom. But how do we do that? Verse 13 and 14. We expose anything that we're facing into the shadow of the light. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse 30, he continues this. So over a couple pages there, Matthew chapter 12, and verse 30. says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now he reiterates this in several of the Gospels, but he's making a point here. We know in the, in the entire context, there's a bigger message here. In fact, he talks about those who are claiming to know him, but yet are living in sin. But the reality of this one verse, once again, calls us to make a decision. Either to live out what you say is in your heart, or not. So, he who is not with me is what? Against me. In other words, you can't be neutral. You can't just say, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. Well, you know, I'll come to church on Sundays and kind of put my time in. Well, I'll come to church and maybe I'll uh, give an offering or give a gift. Uh, or maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do something kind for somebody. No, it doesn't work that way. He says, if you're not with me, you're against me. And he that is against me scatters. So once again, he's calling us to make a decision, Psalm chapter ninety four. If you would turn there, Psalm chapter ninety four. Let's back a few pages there in Psalms chapter ninety four and verse sixteen. He asks a question here: Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? I can't remember the the phrase because I'm not very good at quoting quotes, re quoting quotes, but. Something you guys will know as soon as I begin to say, but all all that has to happen for evil to go forward is for good people to do nothing. The psalmist asks a question here. Who's going to stand with me? I believe that we are in a day and age where we are going to have to take a stand. We can't expect an unsaved world who does not know Jesus Christ as our Savior to do what's right. Every generation faces that. Every generation to f- follow will face that. But for this day and age that we live, we must stand up for what we know is right. We, and I'm not talking about fighting face masks. I'm not talking about fighting you know, injustice. I'm talking about when there is sin going on around us, we need to stand up for what is right. And he says, who's going to stand up against the evildoers? If we as God's children seek to blend in, if we seek to be neutral, if we seek not to cause a wave because, well, we just don't want to upset the apple cart and make anybody upset with us, guess what? You have to question whether or not you truly know Jesus Christ. Because he says, if you are persecuted, you have to know this. He persecuted me first. If you stand up for right and righteousness, there are going to be those who will disagree. If you stand up for what you know is truth, there will be those who will argue that. And I have to tell you, I'm not going to argue it. I'm going to stand. I'm going to do what's right. It's not a question in my mind. I'm going to expose darkness and contrast it with light of God's word. And I'm going to do what's right. Because that's what God expects of those who truly know Him. But the psalmist asks a question. Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? I hope that every one of us in this room will say, Hey, I'm one of those. I'll stand up for what's right. I'll stand up against wickedness and evil in the day that we live. So, there is a time to stand up for what is right. What if I'm not sure? I think there's two things that you can absolutely do to answer that question. You can, number one, pray. And number two, you can seek God's word. If you will do those two things, there will be no doubt in your mind that God will reveal what is right and what it is that you need to stand for. And he says, for some of us, I know your works. You're not hot or cold. Then he goes on to tell us that you have to make a decision. You can't remain neutral. And he asks a question. Who's going to stand? Who's going to do what's right? He goes on verse 20, chapter 94 of Psalms. Shall the throne of iniquity which devises evil by law have fellowship with you? It's a rhetorical question. No. They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. He says, If you do what's right, the Lord will take care of it. In other words, I'm letting God work through us. God's going to take care of it. Vengeance is mine, I will pay, say the Lord. God will take care of the enemy of sin. But we have to stand for what we know is right in the day and age in which we live. You cannot expect a corrupt government to do right, you can't expect an unsaved world to do what's right. You have to stand on the truth of God's Word. Matthew chapter 7. just a couple more passages here. Matthew chapter 7. We're almost through. Verses 21 through 23. And here's where it gets scary for many churches across the United States and around the world. Here's where it gets scary. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, let's stop right there. Are not the people that he's talking about religious? Yes or no? Thank you, Paul. Thank you. It's not your question. He said these are people who are religious. These are people who, if they were in our day and age in the year 2020, they'd be at church. These are people who walk through the doors, they're somewhat learned so to speak, concerning the law, the word. These are people who know some things about the Bible. So he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? I mean, these are religious people, so to speak. These are people who know some stuff have done some stuff, spiritually speaking, religiously speaking. And then Jesus in verse 23 says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So here's the question. What differentiates those who are walking in wickedness and sinfulness, but maybe religious? Versus somebody who is claiming to know Jesus Christ and is living for the Lord. What's the difference? I think the difference is verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons? I'm sorry, verse 21. Not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What's the difference between those who are religious yet maybe lost, versus those who are claiming to know Jesus, what's the difference? Obedience. Obedience. You see, I can't say one thing and do another. Those of you that have, are parents, you've had children, don't you just love it when you tell your child to do something and they say, I will, later? Or I'll get to it, later? Or not now, I'm busy? Or after this game is over or when the show is through, doesn't that just please you? Doesn't that just bring thrill to your heart that your kids have delayed obedience? And you just say, oh, my son, my daughter, I love her so much. She does things when she wants to. Praise Jesus. Say, you're a quack. Right. Because we as parents don't want to hear, we'll do it later. Or after the show or when this game is done. We as parents, we hopefully train our children to obey, to do what they're told to do when they're told to do it. Right? I mean, if a kid's running towards the street, you don't want them to say, "Hey, don't worry, I'll get to, I'll stop in a moment." A moment later might be too late. Or, "Hey, don't touch the stove." In a couple of minutes, it might be a couple minutes too late. We hopefully train our children to do what they're told to do when they're told to do it. Right? So actions speak louder than words you've heard me say before your walk walks and your talk talks but your walk talks louder than your talk talks actions speak louder and that's what he's saying here there are religious people and there are those who walk in obedience and there are going to be those but but jesus didn't you see me I, I helped out at the church. I, did, I, I was there on work day. I, I gave to the, the needs of others. I, I, I helped you. I was a generally good person. And he says, Depart from me. I never knew you. See, being neutral doesn't work. You can't be almost saved and make it to heaven. I can't be almost like a Christian and be a Christian at the same time. I can't be almost like the world. it is one or the other either i'm going to live for jesus and truly know him and obey him or not all these passages say listen make a decision who's going to stand against wrong who's going to truly know me and walk with me true disciples will be marked by their obedience to jesus christ one last verse Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. It's a familiar verse. You've heard it, I'm sure, many times in your life. But I want to close with this. Those of you that are parents, those of you that are heads of your homes, those of you that are the leaders that God has called you to be. In Joshua 24 and verse 15. Actually, verse 14, let's go back one verse. It says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Stop right there. He's calling them to decision. And it's really no different than the day and age in which we are living in. Right? There are gods and idols all around us. They may look differently than what the children of Israel faced, but they're all around us. For some, it's the God of politics. For others, it's the God of materialism. For others, it's the God of their family, and their family is everything. Nothing wrong with a lot of these things, but when they take the place of God and have greater importance than the things of God, there's a problem. So he says, listen, put away the gods that don't matter. He says, I'm the only God. Then he comes to verse 15. And he's calling them to decision here. And verse 15 says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's calling them to decision. He's calling them to make a stand. Don't give in to what the world is doing. Don't give in to what the world loves. Don't practice what the world is practicing. Make a decision. And you can't stay neutral. Folks, do you see the importance of this? In the day and age in which we live, you cannot stay neutral. If you want evil to prevail, don't take a stand. If you want wickedness to be what is forefront, then don't take a stand. If you want God's truth to prevail, then don't just pretend to be something you're not. Live it out and let what's really in your heart be what's seen if you're a child of God. But you can't stay idle. And you can't stay neutral. Because that does not please God. He says you have to make a decision. And I challenge you. As Joshua challenged these children, I challenge my own flock here. I don't care what the world does. I don't care what the world says. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I hope that you'll make that stance with me.